Welcome back, everyone. This is Extra Time. I almost totally forgot the name of this podcast and this video channel. This is Extra Time. This is an FAWSL fan channel. We are recording this on a Thursday morning in Georgia in the USA. This is your Chelsea Women weekly review or semi-weekly review, if you want to call it that. If you are watching this, please smash a like on the video. Please subscribe. Please share with your friends and so forth. If you're listening to the podcast, please, you know, subscribe and leave that five-star review. But this is, as I said, this is your Chelsea Women Review for this particular week. We are in the middle of an international break. We have with us today Rob Prattley from the CFCW Social Senior Editor there to talk about kind of what's been happening with, with Chelsea uh, over the last couple of weeks. We just couldn't connect when scheduling stuff going on. It happens. Life happens. Whatever. But Rob is back with us today. So Rob, welcome back onto the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being patient with with me, uh, trying to find a time to get uh, to get together. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. And as always, you know, thank you very much for having me back. Yeah, and Chelsea, you know, I, I, as I thought about going into this particular show and this particular recording going to be in the middle of for the start of the international break and looking at kind of what what Chelsea has done over the last few weeks, I, I look at their their run of run of games up until now. And, you know, I just, I noticed, I was like looking at it. I'm like, Robin, is it right? If I'm reading this right, Chelsea women have not lost a match since that four nil against Wolfsburg that no one wants to talk about anymore. I I believe so. I believe that is correct. (laughs) And it's just been just a load of, you know, and particularly. Actually, no, technically that's not, that's not correct. It's the Conti cup final, which I also don't want to talk about, but (laughs) I've managed to push that out of my mind as well. Yeah. I think in that and many other people. So obviously it got pushed out of my mind. I totally forgot about it, that it happened too. you know, all I remember is dreadful field, dreadful facility, I think the scoreline was three to one. It was dreadful weather. It was just a mess. And but Manchester City did take away their trophy for the year. Um, and you know, may or may not have redeemed Gareth Taylor's career. Uh, I don't know. But in terms of league form, so I'm looking at their last like what three, four, five, eight, nine league games. I'm seeing starting from back in December um, or actually going back to January, actually a draw with Brighton zero, zero Oh, two nil against West Ham one nil at home against Manchester city, uh, a nil nil draw with Arsenal, that infamous game in which there was that no call handball on Leah Williams. And, you know, that could have, um, you know, could have given Chelsea a penalty at the end, but it didn't happen. Uh, a four, then a four-one with West Ham, a one-nil with Aston Villa, and a three-nil against Everton, and then the last two games. And I think something clicked because you jump from a three-nil to a nine-nil against <laughs> Leicester City away, and mm-hmm. then last weekend, last Sunday, at home a 5-0 against a much more difficult team than Leicester is admittedly a 5-0 against Reading and I'm looking at the you know the scorers at the Leicester match it was 9-0 Chelsea women are up 4-0 by the 11th minute by four different goal scorers it ends up being six different goal scorers in the end where you have Wrighton Sam Kerr Bethany England Nolan and then um, Lauren James and 
you know, Fleming at the very end of that. And then three different goal scorers against Reading, though that was a slower start to look like for Chelsea. But they, but from the standpoint of just dominating the game from the very first minute, that's kind of what it looked like. And three different goal scorers there with, you know, Fleming, Bethany England with a brace, and then Sam Kerr with a brace, 5-0. It seems like something has changed, Rob, but is that true? Has something changed in the last two or three weeks? Uh, I'm not necessarily sure something's changed as per se. I think it's more one of those sort of situations where, and again, I you know I've been banging on about this all season that Chelsea have had games where they should have won by high margins but haven't been clinical. And I've said all season that there would be one opponent who would be unlucky to catch Chelsea on a day when they would score early and we'd get another one, and we'd get another one, and we'd get another one. And it would be, again, I'd said it would be a similar situation to Savet in the Champions League away when Chelsea was sort of 6-0 up at half-time in that game, and that could have been, you know, any score whatsoever. And mm-hmm. Chelsea have that ability to do that to someone. I mean, we saw it last year against um, Bristol City when, again, Chelsea were a couple of goals up, sort of, I think, 3-0 up at half-time, and then just went nuts in the second half. Um, and I think that's the main thing, really, with from a Chelsea point of view, is that ability to sort of kick on and score right after they take the lead. And I was discussing this more in general with someone actually um, in sort of across the WSL this season, of the, especially with the um, sort of uh, stronger teams, as per se, between Chelsea, Arsenal, Manchester City and Manchester United, they've had 18 times this season where they've scored at least three or more goals in a 10-minute spell. Mm-hmm. Um And I think it shows, to me, that shows the one issue I think teams still are overcoming is when they concede reacting well, and especially when they sort of concede a, you know, second goal or, you know, a third goal in a competition, not immediately allowing the score to sort of run away. Um, Because I think, you know, we see that in matches. I think we saw that in the Leicester game, for example, after 10 minutes, that game was over as a contest um, because of, you know, Chelsea being obviously 4-0 up. We saw it in Leicester's game. And the weekend against Arsenal, they went from being 1-0 and very much in the game to conceding a poor second goal, if we're sort of completely honest. Effectively, you know, gifting, as I tweeted at the time, you know, if there's a player you probably don't gift an open goal to, Viviana Miedemeyer is probably quite high on the top of the list. But suddenly, you know, when you do that to top teams and you give them opportunities like that, and City was the same against Everton early in the season where Everton gifted them a goal and suddenly, you know, a few minutes later, City have turned and they make it 5-0. Um, or against Brighton, where City score quickly after half time, and suddenly you know they win six 0 And I think that's the big, the big thing I said I've banged on all season is that Chelsea would do this to someone, and I think we saw hints of it in the Birmingham Cup game, mm-hmm. um, just before this match, because Chelsea in that game went in one 0 at half time, and then after in the second half came out and played you know some very fluid, very attractive, nice football, but just completely blew them away. And I think in Leicester's case conceding you know after so early especially the way the previous game against Chelsea went when they obviously started well and then they had the red card and it sort of all unraveled and was taken away from them I think mentally that would have played a factor so it sounds like you're suggesting that this is this has been coming 
Like, yeah. you know, you've been saying all season that, you know, from and, and I totally agree because I've been talking with you about it is is that Chelsea has, has played most of the year and most every match able to create opportunities and able to, to, to play rather, you know, uh, attractive football, rather fast paced or well paced football. And they just at the end of the day, though, either they would not be clinical enough or they would try to the, the magic worldly goal, whatever, and things like that. And it just wouldn't come off and on a consistent basis. Now it, at some point, uh, and also we, the one thing that I, that I keep throwing in is the quality of the competition has changed where it's not as easy uh, for the exception of maybe one or two squads. And one of them being less good at this point that, you know, the, the overall strength of the league is improved. So it's not yeah. as easy to get those, is get those score lines that we saw, you know, in previous seasons, particularly See, last it's year. Interesting. It's interesting. Cause I've prescribed to this view too, but mm-hmm. statistically, Okay, even if we if we even if we all manage to sit his poor after the season. This season we've got four, you know, sides that are gonna finish, I think, in the top three in any, you know, it's gonna be one of Arsenal or Chelsea top. The other one is gonna be, you know, a point behind in second. Then there's gonna be a gap to one of City or United in third, and then the other one's gonna be fourth. And then there's gonna be a big gap to fifth. And my concern, and again, I sort of have this view, is that last year we, we say, you know, it's become more competitive and we're suggesting it's becoming more competitive. But if you compare, you know, last season to the previous year and you, you compare last season, sorry, to last season, um, and again, finding comparing the previous year is hard because obviously it wasn't a completed season. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's difficult in that regard. When you actually look into that and you look into the table, Chelsea last year finished on a plus 59 sort of goal difference. Mm-hmm. This year, I think, if I just quickly check the table while I'm here right now and have a look at the sort of table as it stands, you know, Chelsea at the moment are on a plus 45 goal difference. Okay, there's sort of quite a significant change. Last year, Chelsea conceded 10. This year, they con- they've conceded seven so far. Mm-hmm. But what I think is startling is that Chelsea, you know, have almost identical records to last year, two draws and two losses this mm-hmm. year compared to last year, three draws and one loss. Obviously, this year's loss was more, you know, the opening day one against Arsenal was contentious. The loss against Reading, I think it'd be fair to say, was careless. So, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I'm increasingly actually wondering, has the standard really improved and has it actually become more competitive or has an element of it been sort of bias of almost wanting it to be more competitive and almost, Mm. you know, in a way, some complacency creeping in earlier in the season and Chelsea being punished a little bit for that. I mean, it sounds a bit odd, but you look at Manchester City, for example, those sort of two draws and those five losses. I mean, how many of those losses came during that terrible, terrible start to the season? Since then, they've been able to come, I think, you know, they were 10th at December, but they've managed to get this all the way up to being in, you know, Champions League contention. Now, if the league is as more competitive as we say, Manchester City shouldn't have been able to do that. Even if they are you know, a very good side, and they are a very good side, they shouldn't have been able to get that far up the table. In a similar way, for example, that Everton last year, finishing sort of fifth, I think, yeah, they finished fifth last year on 30, sort of two points. This year, they're going to finish significantly behind that. Is that due to them being, you know, it being a more competitive league? No, it's due to poor recruitment, poor management, you know, 
the entire structure at Everton being poor. And I think that's more the wider, you know, view I'm now taking on it is that I think there are sides are improving for sure, but I'm not necessarily thinking it's making a more level playing field. I think it's making teams that are complacent in games, you know, more liable to slipping up. But it's not necessarily saying that, you know, teams are, for example, are coming and really giving games to the other top opposition. It's not like, say, in the Premier League where you can have such bonkers sort of scorelines as Brentford, you know, beating Chelsea 4-1 as happened at the weekend. That doesn't just doesn't happen in the WSL. Besides, you know, real, real shots with like the Birmingham Arsenal game at Christmas. And that so much of that has to be attributed to Arsenal being, you know, cocky and going into that game expecting they were going to win. And I think that's increasingly what teams aren't able to do anymore, but I'm not necessarily sure that's reflective and indicative of an increased mode of competition. So so what, I, what I'm gathering in, the, in what you're saying is is that, and I, the, the, I think my takeaway from what you just said, to better phrase it, is that you've, you're feeling like, based on the, the evidence we have at this point, now we're very late into the season with you know four games left in the league, what it looks like is, and what I took away from what you said actually was, teams are if they go into it, the big teams end up going into matches complacent, they have been punished more than yeah. they have. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and like, I think that's kind of to be expected a little bit because as I sort of said to Bill, it's very difficult just in football in general, when you start a game poorly and you concede early on, or you it's very difficult to turn games around like that. If you mentally have gone into the game thinking you're going to win and thinking you're going to be fine. Obviously, if, you know, a mitigating factor happens, for example, let's say after five minutes, you, you know, have a red card to your goalkeeper and you end up losing the game against the lesser side. Well, you can pin it down to that factor. But if you're playing a strong side as Chelsea were when they say played Reading or when Arsenal were when they played Birmingham and you then end up, you know, going behind, mentally, it's really hard to stimulate yourself because you put yourself into that mindset of saying, oh, we're going to cruise this. And I think mm-hmm. that's what, you know, happens at times. I think the exact opposite happened in that Chelsea-Leicester game, going sort of back to that sort of point, in that I think Chelsea were aware that this was the chance that they could go top of the league. Mm-hmm. They were aware that winning would take them top, but they were also aware of that Arsenal goal difference that they had on them. And I did find it really, really telling that once Chelsea got the first goal in that game, obviously through the sort of brilliant free kick, obviously... Second goal's a little bit lucky. It was a great ball through by Millie Bright. Good save from Lamborn, you know. It's the sort of goal that, as I sort of said, when Sam Kerr's, you know, when you're top of the golden boot chart, that's the sort of ball it bounces back to you kindly and you get the tap in. When you're on a goal mm-hmm. drought, the keeper makes the save and it goes the wrong way or, you know, right. they get it out or sort of whatever. But what surprised me then was that at 2-0, I've seen other sides sort of, you know, shut up shop and just say, oh, yeah, we'll take the 2-0. We'll take that win. But, Chelsea put the foot on the gas and put the foot on the throat and, mm-hmm. you know, moments later it was 3-0 and then 4-0 and, you know, it could have easily been 5-0 a few months later. And that was what I think was scary from an opposition point of view is that Leicester just looked absolutely shell-shocked. Right. And I don't think they... Yeah. I think even, you know, this season, especially at home under Lydia Bedford, and I'm not suggesting this was, you know, some sort of tactical fault by Lydia Bedford. I think Lydia Bedford's done a fantastic job at Leicester. I've said this before, you know, Leicester staying up, considering the situation they were in when she came in, 
like you know they've done phenomenal to stay up and I think they will stay up however I do think at home they've tried to make the king power a bit of a fortress mm-hmm. and what uh, the phrase I like I sort of like to hear is that it's sort of making a home a fortress but then also when your fortress gets breached the uh, the water floods in and it uh, comes from a sort of an ancient sort of Chinese metaphor of one of the legendary sort of Chinese stories of how they took a castle by flooding it and they got some one man on the inside and took a sort of brick mm-hmm. out, flooded it through there and led to sort of them capturing it. And again, that shows my sort of nerdy Chinese mythology side coming out of it. But I think that was what really, you know, came into it with me with watching the game is that Leicester, I think, banked on not conceding early. They banked on starting mm-hmm. well. Yep. And once, you know, they were sort of 1-0 down with a brilliant free kick, after a couple of minutes, the game plan completely unravels because the game plan was sit in, I think, you know, frustrate Chelsea. And this was the same against Arsenal at the weekend. You know, mm-hmm. best scoring after 90 seconds. As soon as that happens, the key difference in the game against Arsenal was that they didn't allow them to get the second goal immediately. Right. But then when they did right. get the second goal, the floodgates opened. And that's the thing, I think, you know, the first two goals are increasingly in WSL. I think, you know, it's less important the first goal in a game when a team expects to win. It's more important that they get the second goal and kill the game. And that was what, you know, I mean, I, I think when I, one of the things that struck me with Chelsea last year was they seemed to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, wrong because you're much closer to this than I am. What seemed to me last year with Chelsea is that I saw many more situations where they would get the first goal very early. And then it was, they could get three, four, two, four, whatever, several goals in a row, yeah. you know, within 40 minutes. And I saw that rather, you know, more consistently from Chelsea last year. Now I'm not making any judgment on that. I'm just saying that that's what I saw. I saw less of that. I think I'm seeing less of that this season up until the last couple, until the last game more specifically. And there were a couple other instances, but it's always, you know, but I think also in the Reading game as well, once that first goal happened, you know, take away the halftime 12 minutes later um, they got goal number two and then 14 minutes later they got that got goal number three and and then it was on and Chelsea's just like you know blood in the water sharks kind of stuff you know Um, uh, you know with that and then you know the other thing is and I want to kind of ask this is has there been kind of a more a slight tactical tweak where because I one of the things I I noticed in the last two games is it is, I mean, Chelsea's always played attractive football to me. You know, I've always said there are, if you want to pick a team just to watch and they're play very attractive most of the time, I would say go with Chelsea, right? I've said mm-hmm. that for a number of years. I still say that. Um, and, but I, I saw in the last couple of games, even a more, a slightly faster flow, a slightly quicker pace, um, and so forth that I had not seen. Previously, I think I saw one statistic where Chelsea's buildup was kind of one of the slower ones in the league so far this year. But in the last two games, that's really picked up. Have you noticed that or are you noticing anything different within just sort of small tweaks that have happened on the on the pitch or, or in tactics? Yeah, certainly. I think there's been like uh, I think there's been an element of progression and the mode to sort of get it forward faster and move the ball faster. But I also think, and this is what's sort of interesting, is that without 
Pernilla Harder and um, Fran mm-hmm. Kirby on the pitch, who are sort of both very good dribbling players. Chelsea have a lot more of an ability to sort of get it wide and get it to the wide players, particularly when Brighton has played out wide, who has the ability as well as cutting inside, but also to play as sort of an old sort of touchline style winger and get to the box and put crosses in. And when Chelsea have two very good players in the air, like Sam Kerr and Beth England, there's a lot of potential to score goals like that. And I, I always sort of say, you know, you look at the sort of numbers that you've got there with um, sort of Beth England, sort of Beth England, eight starts, seven goals, 16 matches played in WSL mm-hmm. this year. Sam Kerr, obviously, you know, 16 starts, 16 goals, four assists. Frank Kirby, who obviously hasn't played for a little while, but 13 and, you know, six and then five assists. Jesse Fleming, obviously 17, five goals. There's a lot of goals spread in and around the yes. team. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the main sort of the boon that Chelsea really can have there is that if, you know, if you look at Arsenal, for example, you've got Miedemeyer there and I think you've also got, you know, Kim Little, but Kim Little hasn't scored for a while now. McCabe also, you know, it's five and five, but she's not scored as frequently as she does. So Beth Mead there as well, who sort of, you know, has had a, mm-hmm. had a bit of a slow period after starting the season very well. And I think that's the main sort of takeaways that Chelsea can have those goals from sort of absolutely everywhere. Right. Right. And that's always been the scary thing with, with Chelsea. And that's kind of the thing that I think Arsenal has tried to do, but you yeah. see statistically it's really not come off uh, consistently for the entire season. And, you know, um, you know, it's like, that's the scary thing I've always had with Chelsea is that the goals can come from anywhere. And, and you can have a scenario like we've had in the last couple of weeks where we had no Frank Kirby available, um, but you stepped in, Bethany England steps in and I, she is one of my favorite Chelsea players coming off the bench. Yeah. Um, and now she's been starting because of, of the need to. And, you know, and I see, I, you know, I was like, I was kind of shocked. It was like eight starts and seven goals, but played 16 matches because she's been off the bench, you know, um, you know, but that's like seven goals and 654 league minutes. <laughs> you know, but of course, then you have Sam Kerr scoring 16 goals in 1,200 minutes. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just a really incredible return. And to have weapons just being able to just throw out there and so forth, um, it, it, you know, is incredible. I think I, I think when I looked at the formations that were set up, and I think we talked about this last time, was that, you know, it kind of looked like maybe it was kind of a 3-5-2 situation, but it really is more going back to that 3-4-3 that they started with. And then we talked mm. about before the early on the season, the benefit of a three, four, three when it's working, you know, yeah. and have using the wings and using the flanks as the, as the, you know, the attacking forward and then being able to push ball, the ball into the box uh, or go through the midfield. And, um, but I think what what's what I saw, you know, particularly with the setup of these two matches from a lineup perspective it's been, you know, I think I, I totally agree with you. The flanks have been, the wings have been the the big thing there and being able to use that and being more comfortable with that now. It's like this is a tactic now that was started at the beginning of the season. Now it's clicking, um, you mm-hmm. know, and have the right, it looks like the right recipe out there, even though it may not be, you know, necessarily in people's minds, the best starting 11 yeah. <laughs> uh, that Chelsea can throw out there. A lot of argument there, I would probably say from folks about that. But this this combo obviously is worth. But we bring in the other argument. And the other argument is this, is that, you know, Lester was, I, Lester was completely shell-shocked. And there was, if you, if you, 
I, when I would watch the highlights of that Leicester match again, and I would free, I like, I was taking notes on the goals because there, there's so many of them. Um, but I was taking notes, but I would freeze the, the, the highlight before the goal happened. And I would see so much space, like an incredible amount of space for a player like, you know, you know, Beth England or Sam Kerr, just having so much space available to them. And you just mm. cannot do that against that kind of, you know, ability mm. and get away with it. Just, you just cannot do it. Um, Reading was a little bit more focused and a little bit more resolute with it and a little bit more organized. And But again, you saw the same thing happen. Um, and I'm wondering... And I hate to say this, and and someone slap my wrist if I if I'm wrong, or if I'm like not appropriate when I say this. But when you have teams that honestly they go into these matches, and there's not you know I would say Leicester City is safe. Reading, of course, is conveniently safely in mid table. They get down a couple of goals. It's like you know, well, they didn't have much to play for anyways. Yeah. I, I mean, mean yeah, I, I'm sorry I, from a men, from a mindset standpoint. I, I it's I'm, I'm probably a horrible person for saying that, but Chelsea has a whole lot more to play for in these matches, being in a title race, yeah. and a lot more to prove than Reading at this point. Reading is going to finish mid table. I, I Leicester is going to survive, you know, probably. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Be fine. I, I will say, with Reading, I also did get the feeling based on. Based on the way Emma Hayes was behaving and based on the way players were behaving and responded after, even early on when, you know, there was time wasting, there was a lot of time wasting going on early on from Grace Maloney. Again, I, you know, it's one of those I think referees should pick up more on it. And again, Hannah Hampton gave a masterclass in it when Aston Villa played against Chelsea at home. I appreciate it is part of the game, but it does, you know, does get quite frustrating when, sort of you're having a goal kick and it's sort of the six second rule is more like 60 seconds. But it was quite interesting that, you know, Emma sent the team out after that first goal, they tried to get the second and they nearly did get the second right before Mm -hmm. halftime. But right after halftime, they came out and they were so on the front foot and they were sort of so driven. It was almost as if Emma, I think, had possibly said to them, you know, at halftime, we've seen Reading can score against us. We need the next one. And, I also think there's an element of, you know, personal revenge in it. A lot of the players, I don't think, liked the game away at Reading. I think a lot of them got very frustrated about it. They sort of said, you know, that was the sort of start mm-hmm. of the poor run. There was that game, then the Wolfsburg game, then everyone being ill. And right, right. it's sort of, you know, mentally, and it also was right after the um, win in the FA Cup as well. So it sort of soured that as well. Um I'm like, I spoke to sort of a couple and they sort of said, yeah, we want to like get revenge in, in this game. And we're pretty honest and sort of said like, you know, we're earmarking this. And also the fact that Chelsea know that if they win their remaining games, they win the title. Um, mm-hmm. And that obviously yeah. is a big, you know, motivating factor. And I, I sort of, I, I do think to a point it may come down to the final day. However, I do notice that the Arsenal Spurs game has been rearranged for the week of Thursday, the 4th of May. And there's now potentially a very interesting scenario where if Chelsea win their games, and assuming Arsenal win theirs, I think they will, and they beat Spurs twice, Spurs can go into the game at the Emirates knowing that a result or a win at the Emirates will deny Arsenal a title. Right. And um, (laughs) the players at Spurs that are 
proper Spurs fans, of which there are a few of them, yes, that will be all the motivation that they need to go out there and put in a performance of that. Whereas against Chelsea, I don't necessarily think... I think the motivation will be there to an extent. However, I think the fact that they've had such a poor run of results recently has made them outside favor, you know, outsiders at best for third place and yeah. for the Champions League. And mm-hmm. I think Rahan Skin has done a very good job at Spurs this season. I did say it, but I did say at the time, I felt, you know, Spurs are a side that base a lot of it on solid defending and on being resolute and being compact and not scoring many goals. And the lack of a goal scorer was what was ultimately probably why I sort of, you know, was tipping City ahead of them. And even back in, you know, when Chelsea beat City 4-0 in the league, I said in the past, it wouldn't still surprise me when City got players back that whether they, you know, would end up finishing um, in the top, sort of, uh, in the top three, just because of the quality of the players they've got there. Yeah, and, yeah, and it's, I mean, there's so many very, I mean, the the fun thing about being at the end of the season, the sad part of it is, is we're near the end of the season, but but the fun part is, is that there's so many interesting storyline scenarios that can happen based on the run of fixtures and, you know, that's going on. Before we jump into what's ahead, and and I, I just flashed on the screen uh, and, I, and I always take a look. There's several more advanced stats that I take a look at. I always take a look at this one that I have on mm-hmm. the board, which is basically the relation of goals to non-penalty related goals to expected goals. And Chelsea's usually yeah. always in the top two. Um, and they're sitting right now at like plus 7.7, which for those of you who may not know what that necessarily means is they've scored essentially seven or close to eight more goals than they've been quote expected to, which is a sign that the team overall has been very clinical. Um, and so forth. you see Arsenal on this list, they're sitting at a plus 11.4. So they've scored a little bit over 11 more goals than they expected uh, per based on where the shots are coming from. So Chelsea is doing a, you know, doing a pretty darn good job, you know, with their, you know, overall, you took the entire league season even though they've had moments and so forth now um part of some of sometimes this number gets skewed let's say in a situation like with Leicester where they scored nine goals but their I think their xg was like somewhere around three so it kind of skews it a little bit uh overall but you know and so with that said, I look at, and you look at someone like, you know, we just mentioned Tottenham. Now Chelsea have Tottenham coming up, but actually Tottenham is at the bottom of the list where they have, because they don't have any true, that's not their their style because they don't have the players to be an offensive juggernaut. And obviously when you are, you know, scoring less goals than expected, you know, in this case, bottom of the league, it's amazing that Tottenham has done so well and it's been yeah. all on defense it's all been on defense um doing that because if you look if we flip the screen and go to how their opponents are faring against them you see this where you know tottenham is at negative 2.1 with that and chelsea is right there at negative 1.8 so this is their opponents against them um you know, in Birmingham City, oddly enough, even though they're as bad as they are, um, this is a, the most misleading stat that I've ever seen in my entire life, that their opponents are, you know, um, actually, I should flip it. I should actually better flip it that way. So, you know, Birmingham City is like the worst in the league at this. <laughs> you know, you know, they're, you know, everyone who plays, you know, Birmingham City. This is why Leicester is actually not in the bottom mm. because of this difference um, is 
teams have been less clinical uh, getting through Leicester City as they have with Birmingham, you know, yeah. by far. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. But you see how Tottenham is third best in the league at stopping, you know, non-penalty goals against expected goals and Chelsea's right, you know, right behind them. Arsenal yeah. being in first place at the top of that list. And what um, I think is, is really interesting from a Chelsea sort of point of view is that people uh, sort of, you know, at the beginning of the season were criticising Chelsea quite a lot defensively and Emma Hayes was, you know, quite mm-hmm, vocal yeah. about it. Right. But Chelsea, from a defensive point of view, have conceded once at home all season, mm-hmm. which is the... <laughs> exactly. Which yes. is... Uh, in the top European leagues, that only PSG have not conceded home all season. They play Leon this weekend, so I think that may be about to change, seeing as Leon can wrap up the title um, with a three uh, nil win, I believe. Um, then they are joint with uh, Leon, ironically, on one. They have a better one than Wolfsburg. They have a better one than Bayern. Hilariously, they have a better one than Barcelona Femini, although Barcelona yes, Femini is still, true. you know fifty plus yeah. more goals. Right. Um, which is that just is sort true. of staggering numbers. But, and then you also look at the Chelsea sort of aspect of it, is that out of the seven goals that they've conceded this season, um, five of them came in the opening four matches mm-hmm. and came against um, yep. the two against uh, the two of uh, the three away against Arsenal, the one at home to Brighton, the only home goal they've conceded, and the one goal against um, Manchester United. And again, in the Brighton and Manchester United games, that goal was sort of irrelevant, effectively. Then there's the Diana Rose goal that Reading has scored against Chelsea. And that is the last time that Chelsea have conceded, uh, the Diana Rose goal. And then the last time Chelsea have conceded in WSL was that West Ham game. Um, and again, that goal was, you know, something of an, not an irrelevance, but it sort of was a, and ultimately at the end of the day, it doesn't really count for much. And what I think is really, really interesting is that Chelsea at the start of the season were conceding a lot of chances, and I've you know I've looked into this and they were conceding an awful lot more chances. Now on average they're conceding about 0.4 xG per game. Mm-hmm. Um, so not only are they not conceding chances, the chances that they do concede are not simple chances to take or are not ones that you'd expect players to score. Exactly. And as a result of that, that makes it easier to keep clean sheets. Right. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, and I would say right now that Chelsea has the best defense in the league at this time. Like if mm-hmm. you took it, if you took them right now, right now, I mean, if you look at the totality, you know, you look at the numbers and they're in the top one, two or three. But I would say right now today, given the way it's set up right now, that they have the best defense right now, they're playing at their best. Um, you know, that's what I would argue at this point. So, I mean, Chelsea is, you know, you know, this is always something that people talk about is like, you know, do you want to, where do you want to peak? Do you feel like, I mean, let me ask you, do you feel like Chelsea's peaking right now? I don't necessarily know peaking. Um, I mean, I feel like, (laughs) I feel that peak is one of those things that like it, it's difficult because it's one of those situations that I think, you know, the last, you know, the Leicester game, I think was an exceptional performance. I, you know, I think, but I think, mm-hmm. you know, not just due to, I think Leicester weren't brilliant, but I think that was also due to the fact that Chelsea, you know, played some absolutely scintillating stuff. Um, yeah. The same as the second half against Reading. I don't think Reading did a lot wrong from a, okay, obviously the penalty was a poor goal to concede at the end, but a number of those goals you sort of look at, things like the opening goal that Fleming scored, the Beth England goal, um, you've just got to look at those and sort of say that's quality play against you. And 
if you know if a team does that against you and carves you apart with a succession of passes, there's not much you can do. But I think I think Chelsea aren't necessarily peaking, but I do think they are coming into a point where they mentally are having that resilience and that strength and that ability to sort of kick on and they suddenly, you know, got the feeling that things are in their hands. Mm-hmm. And I um I sort of said this after the Aston Villa game that I thought the Aston Villa goal was a big, big goal because mm-hmm. it kept things in Chelsea's hands. Right. And as long as I think right. things are in Chelsea's hands, I think you'll see a different sort of Chelsea um against opponents. And I think that's why, you know, for example, in the home game against Tottenham, I think you will see a different sort of Chelsea. I think in that away game against Tottenham, I think you will see a Chelsea that will go out there to try and win it and win it quickly um, on the basis that, you know, they will know if they can get a couple of goals, they can get it won. And then also you've got the situation where a couple of days later, Spurs are going to be coming into the game thinking, well, only a couple of days ago we lost sort of to you. So mentally, sort of what are you going to be sort of up for? When you go into that game against Birmingham, again, that's sort of a similar situation where Birmingham obviously by that point, could be sort of down. So it could be a matter of sort of pride, but it could also be a situation like we saw in the cup game where Chelsea just sort of, you know, did outclass them. And then you come on to that final game against Manchester United, which would be sort of particularly interesting because it could be a big game for United as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, very much a winner sort of takes all affair. Where uh, what, what was really interesting about that is that a point won't be good enough for either side. Both sides will need to go out and try and win it. Yes. Yeah. And, and it could be one of those situations. I mean, there's so many, so we're a month away from that yeah. fixture. And I mean, a lot can change um, between there's still plenty of matches to play. Um, I mean, conceivably this, that match, which is, I think what a lot of fans are hoping for is that that match matters, you know, for both teams going into it, particularly yeah. those who just are, are watching the league and watching these teams, probably the fans of Chelsea and United probably would rather not have it be that, um, that tense at that point, but you know, that's the way football goes sometimes. Um, and so forth. I want to get to, uh, you know, as we wrap up, I mean, we just talked, you know, you, you touched on the run of games that's coming up and so forth. I wanted to throw this up on the screen. Um, you know, I talked about, you know, goals to expected goals. And one of the, the worst arguments ever I've seen is everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people say that Sam Kerr is not someone who's clinical enough. Yeah. Um, and she's second in the league in, the, in that category. Yeah, um, as it stands now, three point three more goals than uh, you know than expected. Secondly, to a to um, you know a rather strong Elisa Russo over the last several months, but um, and that's on sixteen goals. And someone like Mitama is down at one at plus one point six. Not bad either, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a big difference there between the two. And I mean, look at three. You know, there's three Chelsea players that are above 1.5, you know, Frank Kirby and Gerald Wright and Sam Carr. You know, again, the goals are coming from everywhere, but also just they're really very, you know, really clinical, um, you know, going forward as well. So, um, so the big game coming up, obviously, after we get through this international break and knock on wood, there's no in, no more injuries um, yeah. and so forth. Is what, what are your thoughts going into 10 days from now, the 17th? The semi-final, cup semi-final against Arsenal. Your thoughts about that going in? I think we both know that it's going to be sort of quite a good um, sort of a, a good game, we hope, I think. Um, I, I, you know, I think it will be important to just sort of have a 
have a proper match, um, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Something you know is is sort of not overshadowed by refereeing or by you know nonsense off the field. Again, I'm generally really excited for this game because I think it could be you know it is the two outstanding sides. I think mm-hmm. there are outstanding yep. players on both sides. I think both sides want to win it. Um, obviously, you know, last time they met in the competition in the FA Cup, Chelsea did win it quite comfortably. I think Arsenal will want to get revenge for that. Obviously, Arsenal will also be thinking, you know, that they can go ahead and win again against um, sort of Chelsea and put doubts in their mind for the end of the season. To be honest, I don't think it really affects the sides too much from a league point of view. I think both of them will be able to differentiate themselves from it. But I'm just really hoping for a real sort of excellent game because, you know, it's two top sides with top players. Um, you know, both know how to win. They've both got, you know, world-class talents on display in a lot of the positions. Otherwise, they've got very good players in all the positions. And I think, you know, it should just be mm-hmm. a really good, really, really good tie. And, I, you know, that's sort of what I want to sort of see more than anything is a really, really good match, a really you know, a competitive match, fought in the right spirit, fought in the right, mm-hmm. right way. And, you know, the best team will come out on top, I think. Yeah, and and that's the thing, that last statement, that's what I want to. I just want the best team on that day, evening, afternoon, go out on top because the, the last two matches that I can think of between these two sides, who are clearly the top two sides in the league by far, in my opinion, Mm. is there have been referee decisions and things that have happened in both games that I think affected the possible result or the result of those games. Yeah. And I would like to see that. Um, I would like to see <laughs> that that not happen uh, because these two teams really, and we as fans in these two teams squads deserve a match that is, I'm going to use the wrong term here. I'm going to use the wrong term, but I'm, it's the first one that comes to mind. What I'm in, I'll, I'll explain why I'm using it. They deserve a clean match. And what I mean by a clean match is this, is that it is the void, as you said, of bad referee decisions, outside weird outside stuff that doesn't really belong. Mm. Um, we just want, I, I would love to see, uh, you know, a match where we just have the, the best two sides that we have in the league playing a match and we don't know who the referees are and we, and we kind of get rid of some of the irrelevant outside stuff. But more importantly to me is the referee stuff. Um, That's what I want to see because to me, if that happens, then we may have a a great game, a classic game, may the best team win. Uh, And, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be a tough match for both. Um, you know, and yeah. I see, I mean, I can go either way with who I think will win in the end. Uh, I'm leaning towards Chelsea right now based on what I've seen the last few weeks. But, you know, that could be different. One of the questions I, I had, though, I, is the status of AKB. What is the, what can you tell us about the status now? Because she has not started in the last two week matches. Um, so forth. So what are we going to see her in this match coming up? Or, or when, when should we see her again? Or is there been a change? I don't know. It's difficult. I mean, it's one of these things I sort of discussed it. Emma has done this before and has just, you know, brought mm-hmm. players in, taken players out. Again, you've seen in the last couple of days, Mag Derrickson's come back in for right. Annie Nowen, despite the fact Nowen's been playing, you know, really, really well. At times, Jess Carter's come out, even though she's been playing sort of really well. 
I think Emma just sort of does do this to a point. Um, I am a little bit surprised sort of that Berger has come out for sort of such a run of games, but at the same time, you have to look at it from a sort of a fair point of view of that Berger's last game was the Conti Cup final. You know, mm-hmm. the last sort of big game she sort of played, ignoring the you know cup game against Birmingham that obviously have anything to do, but you know wasn't particularly brilliant in that game. At the same mm-hmm. time, Zakira has come in and played well in the games she's played in and the team are keeping clean sheets. The defence sort of looks settled. So, it, you know, do you really t- t- sort of tamper with a winning formula? Do you really, you know, need to make changes? I think Berger will come back in, you know, at some point. I still think she's a top goalkeeper. I think, you know, she'll be... Again, we all start over. There's, you know, been stuff behind the scenes. If she just needs a break, if she needs a rest because she's played an awful lot of football in the last couple of years. So I, you know, I'm not too worried about it from sort of that perspective. I think it's just, you know, Emma Hayes being Emma Hayes, really. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I understand. I, um, does Muzovic give the side anything different that AKB doesn't? Uh, I'm not necessarily sure. The only thing is she is like very good at Muzovic. She's, she's very, very vocal and very commanding, whereas Berg is a bit more... Mm-hmm. Quite, she's not quiet, that's the wrong word, but she's a bit more reserved. She doesn't talk quite as much, but she's sort of very direct in her orders, whereas Musovic is more sort of, you know, very, very constant sort of talking, communicating with defence. And I do think Musovic has slightly better distribution from the back. I think her sort of long kicking and her long passing is slightly better. But I think they're both, you know, very good goalkeepers. And I think ultimately that's the situation that Chelsea have, where they've got two good goalkeepers. And okay, there's been a clear number one, but... Perhaps it's not the worst thing to have a challenge to there being a clear number one because if that, you know, inspires the AKB to sort of kick on and play, sort of, you know, work that bit harder in training and play that bit better when she plays, then that's not a bad thing at all. And that's the part that I, that is, to me, Emma Hayes being Emma Hayes, is, is yeah. the competition on the squad. You know, it's like, you know, it is fierce. And everyone, and she has recruited people who want to be on the pitch, who want to start, who want to be the number one in their position. And, um, but they all know that at any given point, that could flip and you can earn it back. <laughs> um, and so forth at some point, but it could certainly flip. So no one can be comfortable. I think Musevich recently, you know, she, I think you're, uh, that's my meta observation as well, Rob, is that, you know, uh, as far as her distribution, her being a little bit more vocal and, and so forth, that, that's where I see the difference in play. But I'm not sure that I see that much difference in quality. Um, I just see a different, you know, and that may fit into what Emma Hayes is trying to do, you know, with the formation and with, you know, the flow and the wings, backs and so forth. So that might be a part of it from that standpoint as well, from a tactical element. But again, you know, it's like Emma Hayes throws these things in there, um, you know, as she, as she sees fit to do. <laughs> um, and um, most of the time she ends up being right. <laughs> but, and, but no manager is going to be 100% right on that. So any other thoughts about the run of games coming up, particularly of note, again, talking about, you know, the, the back-to-back away and home against Tottenham after a week after this cup semi? Uh, let's get through the game against Arsenal first, and then okay. Up we'll do again, it then. <laughs> I, I don't think it's yeah. I don't think it's worth considering the respect I do show to Arsenal, as, you know, as a side from a mm-hmm. competition point of view, but also from a rivalry sort of point of view. I don't think you know if you start overlooking that game and sort of thinking about it, that's when you're just you know you're putting yourself in a position where you're like to lose that tie. 
And I think, you know, that's exactly what Emma will be sort of saying. She mentally, again, she got asked about, you know, about the league the other day, um, after the game, after the Reading game, sort of said, you know, if you win your final four. And she said, before the league game, we've got the game against Arsenal in the cup. That's all I'm, you know, focusing on. Then it'll be focusing on Spurs away, then Spurs at home, then Birmingham. And then if we're still in that conversation, then I'll talk to you about the final day of the season. Um, And I think that's, you know, the mentality that, the sort of siege mentality that the club do Mm -hmm. have. I will also say, I think it is useful over the international break that there should be more clarity over the new ownership as well of the club because I think at times that's you know been a bit of a sort of cloud that's been hanging over and with the clarity of that I think also that will lead more assurance just in general. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you feel like there so it sounds like there you feel like there will be more clarity within the next 10 to 14 days or or yes. okay cool good well, well mean, that will be good we, I mean we, but we, I think it's helped we, uh-huh. we're being told that a preferred bidder will be confirmed sort of next Monday Tuesday um okay they then need to take it to the government and request a license and then it should, you know, move quite quickly on from there. So excellent. Excellent. And you know, and I think that certainly does help. I think the I think a siege mentality, which I I think that's a sometimes overused term, but this might be really fitting for this squad right now. Um, you know, the way it's, I've seen things go with with the club in general and with the, the squad. So um so Clarity on that is just definitely probably going to help, but they've been pretty razor focused on the the play and and, and so forth. So much to yeah. their benefit and so forth. So yeah, so fair respect to, to Arsenal and the rivalry coming up and and so forth. And we'll see what happens in you know in ten days. So Rob, thank you so much for your time with us. Um, great stuff as always, uh, and look forward to talking with you again after Arsenal. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right. So that'll be it for our Chelsea review for, you know, at least this week and so forth. We'll probably be back um, after the international break and after this cup semifinal in terms of talking about Arsenal. We're going to move some shows into next week um, just for scheduling purposes where we'll have Kate back on next week. We'll have Mark back on and we'll talk about um, talk and uh, we'll talk about Arsenal probably hopefully before that semi-final so in the meantime please smash that like please subscribe please send that five-star review if you're listening to the podcast and so forth and I hope you've enjoyed the show please take care of yourselves out there um and uh and with everything that is still going on in the world let's not lose sight of it as it's been going on okay so take care of yourselves take care of each other and we will see you next time